0: Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at eggviewsolutions.com. Hey, everybody. Just want to say a special thanks to Jared Creed with JC Marketing and Pete Meyer with s Global Plats. This is a great conversation headed your way here now. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Ag View Pitch and we are heading into the end of the year here now and uh, recording this right in front of Christmas. You'll probably be listening to this after Christmas. So uh, how are you guys today? We got Pete Meyer and Jared Creed. How are you guys today?
1: I'm good. I'll let my elder go first. Oh, there you go. Oh, it's, always, it's always nice that the young understand who they need to respect. So yeah, I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks a lot.
0: Well, good, good. Hey, I'm really glad to have you guys on. So normally, you know, normally I have you guys on one at a time. You guys are um, both uh, well acquainted. Um, you, you guys see eye to eye on a lot of things. I was hoping to to uh, get some good conversation here going uh, between the two of you and just some questions on some things that you guys see that farmers really need to be paying attention to as we you know, wrap up this year, um, you know, a lot of guys are sitting there now wondering as we go into 22, what's this going to look like? High input costs. Um, You know, we're finishing up the year with some pretty strong price opportunities. So as we go into 22, let's start having a conversation there. And uh, one of you guys can go first. They're pointing at each other here.
2: (laughs) I'll give it a roll, Chris. Okay. Hey, let's put the farmer hat on first, regardless of kind of opinions on the market. Uh, Obviously, the opportunity has been presented to price out the balance of the 2021 crop uh, with the price movement in the month of December is rather spectacular, uh, considered what we typically experience in the month of November, December after harvest. Um, One of the things that I find interesting is that I think farmer bean movement has been relatively... Uh, normal in line with history, but corn movement has been shockingly low with a, you know, a near record, if not a record U.S. crop uh, in these kind of prices, farmer movement, very slow. I think we all know plenty of reasons, cash, weather, uh, just had an opportunity to do a tremendous amount of field work. I I think what I'm getting at there is we're going to go into the end of the year with a rather long fund position, which is definitely abnormal. Uh, we've definitely got some built up, um, premium in the South America market from, uh, maybe, uh, I don't want to call it benign weather, but a little bit of struggling weather. I think we just got to be aware that this thing can shift on a dime and it's not like years past where we're used to seeing a managed money be- position be so short rather, you know, they're going to be long, close to a billion and a half bushel of corn. Uh, in the first week of January, and the farmer's going to have to turn around and sell upwards of eight to 10 billion bushel over the next six to seven months. So all I'm getting at there is I think we just got to be a privy of the idea. uh, Farmers typically a market seller, are we going to have the uh, participation on the other side uh, to absorb whatever farmer selling may come our way? Uh, And also at the same time, do we provide something to the marketplace to
1: to rock the boat of the current positioning of all the money? Lack of, the lack of farmer selling has played right into the fund's hands. The funds, uh, given the way that they're, they're, they're trading style with this thing, they are trading the momentum. And they, and they just they saw, they saw an opportunity after uh, the November WASD and thought, yeah, what the heck, let's, uh, let's get long. And they just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And nobody's been in the way here. Sure, it certainly helps that the ethanol margins have been tremendous, but um, you know the game changes in January, in my opinion, uh, regarding old crop. So I'm not I'm not really expecting much uh, of a surprise in the WASD. Um, You know, it, it just seems that the amount of samples and everything that NAS got uh, should give us a pretty good idea. If we look on the demand side of things, uh, then you have. You know, I mean, the soybean, uh, soybean exports are still lagging a bit. Corn exports are OK. Uh, ethanol demand is good. Um, but outside of that, it's a weather market. And it could very well be a weather, a full-blown weather market. But that being said, I mean, what are we talking about in Brazil that maybe 140 million metric tons instead of 144 or 145 in soybeans and, you know, 115, 116 in their corn? I mean, let's not forget that the first crop corn is just for domestic use. The second crop corn, the Safrina crop, hasn't even been planted yet. And that was the crop that got the whole corn market moving last year. So we'll see. It can stay dry. Things can happen. But if I'm looking at 22 and I start to look at where my where 22 prices are and I look at what my fertilizer costs are and I look and I I see how it pencils in. But the thing that I am watching and probably very few are watching because it's not easy to look at is European electricity prices because guess what those miners and those uh, those fertilizer producers, fertilizer miners and and everybody that runs businesses over there, we've already seen in some parts of Western Europe, uh, Kiev and 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 some of these some of these other places that you know they're on rolling blackouts already. There's no electricity. So what does that do to your manufacturing businesses or your mining businesses? So You know, I, you know, that's, that, that could be supportive to the corn market going in, but you know, because who knows again, and, and I know Chris, the last time we talked about this as well, it's not the price of fertilizers that bother me. It's going to be the availability of fertilizers come spring.
0: So with that said, you know, from an inflationary perspective, we've continued to see a lot of other factors besides just inflation and crop protection and some other things too, that affect things on all crops, you know? So from an inflationary perspective, do you think the inflation has any correlation to where the commodities are going, or are they gonna completely be divorced from just overall inflation that's affecting the economy in general? Either one of you can answer both.
1: Uh, I would say that, that once you get a respite in inflation and that's gonna come, right? Mm-hmm. Commodities, be the, commodities be the first to head straight south. That's, so that's all you got to do is
2: all you have to do is provide another place for cash that's ultimately getting nothing of a return today to go elsewhere. And commodities right here, is what they're chasing
1: today. And here we are, here we are today. Today the, the day before uh, Christmas Eve, the last trading day before Christmas, and the S and P closes at a record high. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of other places where people can put their money other than commodities, and and you know, I, I just. I don't I don't necessarily know. I mean, given given the given the inflationary pressures and that sort of stuff, I mean, do we really think corn has a lot of space to move over six dollars? Not not my opinion. Do do beans maybe have some space to move? Maybe they do. But here again, you know, this is all going to, you know, uh, as I as I'm fond of saying and Jared knows this supply rallies are meant to be sold. Demand rallies are meant to be are, are are meant to be honored or respected. This is a supply rally. I mean, we're we're rallying on South American weather. Okay. If you want to get all excited about 140 million metric ton Brazilian soybean crop, which would be a record by what four or five million metric tons, and Chinese soybean demand basically flat year over year. Okay. Or potentially to get worse. Yeah.
0: Right. And so the time, the timeline, as we head into the first week or two of January, sounds like you guys are talking about a whole bunch of risk factors. What are the positive things or are there other risk factors we haven't even addressed yet?
1: Well, that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, if you look at, if you look at the quote unquote year end WASDE, I mean, really the, the only thing that I would be excited about, as I just mentioned, because I, I respect demand rallies would be a, would be a big jump in, uh, in, in demand. And and the only place that can come from really at the moment, we've already kind of moved the ethanol demand sector out. The USDA has raised their, their ethanol number. I mean, the only place it can come from at the moment is going to be exports and exports, you know, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't, I, I think it could be a, could be a huge disappointment. Maybe if you get a reduction in yield or something like that, um, uh, you know, you'll get, you, you, you may get a, you may get a knee jerk higher reaction, but the fact that it matters is is that because as I mentioned earlier, especially in corn, the safrina crop hasn't been planted yet. Is the USDA going to really make that big of a change to these, uh, to these estimates that they have out there um, regarding South American production? No, but I mean, so. There's obviously a
2: long, long time to go in a calendar until a safrina corn crop is known, but I think it's important to remember this year as well. Our soybean planting pace in Brazil was head and shoulders better than what it was in 2020, which Fantastic. obviously had a huge yeah. impact on the safrinha corn crop size. And Christy, your question on, hey, what, these are all the risks, you know, what's maybe the good side? I'd kind of answer that, that all these risks that we laid out with risk comes good and bad, uh, that I think these are all the good things that we have going for us right now. Uh, ethanol is the darling of the ag industry but that story is getting a little old yeah you got a long-term story perhaps in the renewable diesel space and obviously Pete's the expert in that Um, but outside of that in the dead of the winter what are you looking for beyond Brazilian weather it's just not much else to do maybe you got a little bit of uh, potential surprises from a total acreage mix in the January perspective plantings but I'm not hanging my hat on that to be a you know, the next catalyst for an additional leg higher from the current prices that we're at, especially in corn. I agree with Pete on beans. If anything, maybe that's the one thing that I feel has a a little bit better of a short-term story. I'm not talking about just a long-term deal. I still think that that ratio between corn and beans is something's out of whack there, whether the market's telling us that we need to plant more corn uh, or soybeans are just grossly undervalued to corn today.
1: There's an input gap as far as information is concerned once we get past the January wasdy, right? I mean, and I, I would imagine that with the turn of the calendar year and cord prices were the way they are. If anybody has cord to sell, boy, you're going to see it that first month. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, you know, unless, unless all of a sudden we go into a deep freeze or something and they can't be delivered, but you know, I don't, yeah.
0: Well, there'll be a lot moving and basis will probably be affected dramatically at that point then probably, right?
1: I would, I would think so. Mm -hmm.
2: There's a few destinations, not everywhere, but if you make some phone calls to sell cash corn in size and quantity in January, uh, they're going to more or less try to push you off to February and March, which is a little concerning for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the other concern, the other concern for me, quite honestly, and and, and I think some of this has to do with the fact that, you know, the corn does pencil in so much better than soybeans in the uh, uh, for 22 for us producers And Jared and I talked about this the other day. I mean, you just don't see that jump in December 22 corn, do you? You just don't see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just lagging so badly, but you
0: know, that price ratio, we're, we're kind of seeing the same thing. Our average is showing a significantly better opportunity on the corn side, although there are exceptions to that. Um, But Not very many, (laughs) but there are, there are some operations out there that can do better on beans. It's a, it's a yield thing for, for certain growers, you know, that have a a higher yield on the soybeans respective to corn. But, um, I have another question for you guys too. You know, we've talked about the, uh, inflation. We've talked about, you know, the stock market and, and the influences there to the, uh, you know, to the commodity market, what about interest rates and some of those things? I mean, any, anything there that you guys are watching from an economic standpoint or anything of concern there?
2: Pete, let me throw out one comment and then I'll let you do the uh, analyzing of his question. I think a farmer just needs to stress test their operation based upon potential higher interest rates long-term and a real stress test, you know, considering what can happen in 2022 with higher input costs, potentially higher interest rates by the end of the year. Uh, back to Pete's comment about higher interest rates. What can that do towards commodities? And then specifically, I think the the million dollar question today is how do we transition out of 21 and 22 into 2023? That's I think the, the biggest th- question mark for all the operators I work with today. Sorry, Pete, go
1: ahead. No, that's all right. The dovish, na- the dovish nature of the Fed is over, right? I mean- they, they have no place to go, but be Hawks. So, you know what? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that here we are sitting here today, we have this Omicron just, you know, okay. The stock market, the markets got spooked a little bit. Oil got spooked a little bit. Now it's just like, they're just dusting it off their back. Right. Nobody cares anymore. You've got, you've got the highest numbers of infections uh, in many States all over the country. And it's just, people are just like, you know, they're tired of. So I I don't really think that the fed has any more, more room to move to the downside. So now I'm not saying that they're going to jack rates right away, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we've been spoon fed free money for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was basically over before, before COVID hit. So to Jared's point, I mean, I think that there were some farmers and Jared and I, I remember, Talking about this, you know, maybe in, in nineteen or something like that, where it looked like interest rates were going to go a little bit higher. And I think Jared had the same conversation. Boy, these guys better stress test because you're just used to free money, and and now we basically got a two year reprieve here with with COVID. And you know, that's not. Uh, I I think Jared's right on it. It might not be twenty two or twenty three, and you know who knows? I mean, we're not talking about two three percent increases, but you know, you're looking at an old guy here that had, uh, that his first mortgage in 1980 was 18 and a half percent. Been (laughs) there, seen that, done it. Okay. Whether it be (laughs) a car, a lease of equipment, the purchase of a home. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think about it and just kind of shrug my shoulders, but there are many people out there who who never, (laughs) never even dealt with that. And again, I'm not saying it's going there, but We've been spoon-fed these, this free money for a long time. Yeah, it's sure. not the fact of if and when it goes, it's just
2: the 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 fear of the what if. Mm-hmm. Correct.
0: I think the other threat probably too is in, and I think probably Jared, you're seeing this as well with your clients, is, but we look at the amount of excess working capital that will be required in twenty two versus you know, we're coming off of twenty-one and we've had a pretty strong working capital improvement on the on the farm. So now we got this extra cash here and in some cases it's being spent some pay, you know there's a lot of new equipment being purchased there's a lot of things being bought sometimes we don't make the best des- decisions during good times and we make pretty good decisions when things aren't so good and i think there's probably some iffy decisions being made right now with managing that working capital because we're going to have a situation in 22 and 23 where that working capital is going to be n- a necessity and when we look just at 22 right now, our client base on, on a 2000 acre farm, half corn, half soybeans, it's going to require an extra $270,000 of working capital over last year. Any comments on, on the threat of that and just, you know, what farmers should be thinking about going into this next year and managing that cash? Uh, I, will one, I,
1: will, I, oh, I will make Go one. I will make comment, okay. and I'll let Jared have it. Heated heated driveways are not a good investment at this point. Go ahead, Jared.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, good inside joke there. Um, <clears throat> what were we talking about there? <laughs> okay, uh, working capital. Working right, capital. Working sorry, capital. Sorry, Chris. Uh, so, first off, no secret that input costs going higher. Uh, I, I found it very interesting that as we tie out the books of a lot of producers from 2021, uh, from budgeted numbers at the beginning of the year to where we ended, there was plenty of operations that still saw three to 5% cost increase throughout the entire year. If not a little bit more, actually 30 to 50 bucks an acre in our reality. And -hmm. I think that's just a sign of the world around us, maybe a little bit more money was thrown at the crop because of good prices and, you know, okay, weather in these situations, But nonetheless, our expenses just kept climbing. And where do you see that slowdown going into next year? So, uh, you know, going through some numbers today that are uh, fresh in my mind, uh, some producers that kind of started the year at like a 775 cost per acre on like a 210, 215 corn crop, uh, ending the year with about 840 to $845 an acre expense. How high do I put that estimate for next year? I mean, we can get to some of those pieces, but right now we're floating around the idea of conservatively nine and a quarter to nine fifty, with the potential of talking about a thousand bucks an acre for a corn crop. And now you relate that back to working capital. I think working capital, um, and I guess I'll die on this hill. Uh, I think working capital is important, but it's the timing when that stuff turns into cash.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And in a thirty thousand foot view. We are striving to get through March first half rent payments going into that with hardly any borrowed money on operating and hopefully coming out of that with hardly any money borrowed on operating, which means we have to turn a balance of this year's crop into cash. And if we need to be in the market, we can go do that in other ways. Uh, and then furthermore, uh, I think the, the bigger question is how can we at least try to increase our working capital going into 2023? at half of what we're seeing this year. I, at, at this in the last couple of days some of these bankers sent me numbers I've seen working capital increases from, you know, anywhere from a 50 to 100 grand on uh, you know, a 1000 to 2000 acre operation to 10 15,000 acre farm seeing 3-4 million dollar an acre increase in right. working capital. They're all going in the right direction but don't want to errantly spend that money. Want to get to this time next year and be in great position if things have shifted a little bit more negative.
1: The only thing I, the only thing I would say, Chris, is you just mentioned earlier that you make good decisions when times are tough and you may not make the best of decisions when, when times are good. The fact of the matter is you should be, you should be tightening your belt both times because of you, because Absolutely. of this uncertainty, because of this uncertainty, you should be, but you should be tightening your belt as much now as you do when, when things are tough. And I'll just let your audience know the inside joke is a, is a friend of Jared and I, whose relative, called and complained that he put in a, uh, he put in a, a concrete driveway with a boiler underneath it and was shocked when the plumber sent the, sent the, sent the price. He had extra money, put it in and now he's, now he's, you know, five, you know. five, five figures into a, five figures into a driveway. That was the, <laughs> that was the inside joke. That's all.
0: Well, that, you know, those, those expenses can happen. And so let me ask you this, Pete, um, you know, you're, you've got wisdom, you've got experience. Um, you know, when you look at, Um, and and I hear this question, I've heard this question a bunch here in the last month, as I've started to, to have these individual farm meetings is I've got this extra cash. What should I, should I be paying down more debt? Should I be hanging on to the cash? So I have it for working capital as I move forward. You know, it's just, I've not had this much cash in hand and it's not making me any money right now. So do I, you know, what do I do with it? Because I just restructured my debt and I've got low interest rates. On long term, and I'm not, not sure, you know, how dry do I want to keep my powder? So I'm going to come to J- you too, Jared, on this one. But but what's your comments on that? On managing that cash?
1: Well, if you've restructured your debt to, to as low as you can get it, and we've just said we don't think interest rates, or I've said I don't think interest rates are going much lower. Uh, if your cost if your cost of funds is is going up in the future, you know, yeah, I mean, I I would. I would put the money into something conservative and then, and then keep, keep some extra, keep some extra operating. I mean, you're operating capital around, you're not paying off debt at these low rates. If you feel comfortable with it, you know, why would you do that? You know, it's kind of like, you know, I just saw, I just saw the other day or maybe it was yesterday or today where now they've said, okay, student loans, you don't have to pay them until May 1st. I mean, you know, so, you hear the story where there's like five or six percent of people out there that have actually paid down. There's paid down some of their student loans in the last two years. It's free money. So why would why would you do that? So the cost of money. But so I, I don't I don't necessarily. I mean, paying down debt is always a great idea, right? There, there, there can be no question. But at these lower rates, and 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 with the uh, the possibility of higher rates coming coming within the next couple of years, maybe you need to spend your maybe you need to keep your money. Keep your powder dry on the um, on the operating capital side. I don't know. If Jared may have a different opinion. Yeah.
0: And part of that, as we go to Jared, I'll just throw out there that discipline of managing that cash is different for every operation, too. Some operations have the discipline to hang on to the cash, to manage it, not go accidentally, you know, put a boiler under the driveway or whatever. You know, I mean, th- there's easy ways to spend the money, you know, in the meantime. So it's a discipline thing. Go ahead, Jared.
2: Um, I agree with all that, uh, what Pete was talking about there. Uh, And I believe, I'm assuming that this is what you mean, you know, guys have restructured long-term debt, right? There is no such thing obviously as restructuring our, uh, you know, our six, nine, 12, 15 month uh, operating balances. Mm -hmm. And at least the average producer I work with, uh, and I would imagine that this is a, a pretty fair assumption throughout the U.S., it's a feat to get through the first quarter of a growing season without having to have operating money borrowed.
0: Yeah.
2: And that, that should mean that there's been a pretty darn good opportunity on a table too. Something from a revenue standpoint has uh, exceeded expectations and it's exceeded what our cash needs are to wrap up the prior crop and going into the next crop year. I think that's just the nuts and bolts about it. When you have guys grossing 11, 12, 13, $1,400 an acre in corn through a lot of the corn belt, um, that goes a long, long ways to wrap up last year and going into next year. And yeah, I agree. Not paying down long-term debt at cheap interest rates. It's already been restructured, uh, but no need to put ourselves in a situation to pay any interest on four five and a half,
1: five, five and a half percent uh,
2: into uh, this next year.
1: Old enough, old enough to remember in early 2013 when 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 people thought wow yeah, seven dollar corn six dollar corn this is gonna go and, go and go and go and go and go yeah it didn't so you know you really you really got to uh you're yeah I mean it, there's not not quite as an extreme an example as as as, as we've as, uh, or a more extreme example than we're seeing now but the fact of the matter is that the ba- the, the business is cyclical right so I'm sure a lot of a lot of people listening that wish in early 13, they could have sold 14 corn, 15 corn and 16 corn at the same time. I'm not saying that that's that's what you do today. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes these opportunities come and you don't want to. Well, there's it, five. It,
0: there's five dollar corn for twenty three. Right. Well, now. I understand. <laughs> Now,
1: now tell me
2: how many producers you work with can make money at that, Chris.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, with with today's <laughs> expenses, not not hardly any of them. No, but,
1: correct. That's and that's the problem, right?
0: Right. So, with that said, um, uh, the last uh, segment I want to hit with you guys then is is just some practical decision making. So I'll I'll lay the playing field out for you, and Jared, you can adjust this based on what you see with your clients. But let's say you know we got thirty percent, you know, twenty to thirty percent of the old crop corn left. Very tiny bit left of the of the soybeans, um, the play uh, bushels or whatever it seems like left on the soybeans, not much left from what I see. Um, and probably 20% of the new crops priced on both corn and soybeans from what I'm seeing with our clients. So from there, um, from a practical perspective, what, what are your thoughts and, you know, what are some next moves, some next ideas and either one of you can go first.
2: That's obviously the toughest thing to answer. Uh, and obviously it's a, a case by case scenario, right? If anything, you know, we're uh, five weeks away from getting into the February insurance average period. And it's something I think that uh, needs to be mentioned. Uh, let's just say that uh, we rallied a six bucks between now and February on new crop corn. And you take 80% of that. Now you're down to uh, $4 and 80 cents. The reason I bring that up, is if you carry an 80% insurance policy and prices at six bucks in February, you have no insurance coverage for a buck 20. And that's still 70 cents lower than where we are today. So I think what you need to do is consider if I sell X, Y, Z amount of bushels, uh, where's my price target or my price trigger or my price risk, whatever it may be on the balance of it and see if we can't get a certain percentage sold or covered in some way That marries up with what our potential insurance coverage is going to be and put us in a, you know, a foolproof situation that goes for both corn and beans. And then as far as old crop goes, uh, I don't know if there's necessarily enough grain or there uh, maybe a strong opinion here. There shouldn't be enough grain around to really impact the average, the overall enterprise average price at the end of the day that much. One of my biggest pet peeves. Oh, yeah. 50 percent sold at this price. That's great. What's the all in average, because that's what matters at the end of the day. And maybe, you know, having that first 20% sold for next year is great. Getting enough sold, especially what, you know, you can't store just in case things would turn around a little bit and we never catch up. And then lastly, I'll shut up, uh, in the event things switch and I'm not saying that they're going to, but if things start to change gear in the beginning of the year, uh, there's just as much discipline in uh, you know, sticking to a plan on the way up as trying to stick to a plan on the way down uh, and make sure you know what that plan is. I got that in my head right now, looking at next year's beans uh, and looking at corn. I know where those price levels are that I'm not going to let it get below that. I'm going to go ahead and be a seller there if we're on our way back down.
0: And that's a tough one for guys to do, and that's a great comment. I appreciate that.
1: Pete? I don't. I don't really. I don't really have much much to add on the on the farm marketing side. I mean, I I leave that to you guys. You guys are the are the experts on that. I would just say that you know the things that we're watching and our energy prices, obviously, um, crude oil is and it you know oil is oil is a very interesting commodity at the moment. Uh, just when you think it's about ready to fall out of bed, it, it it comes back. I think what we've seen in out of the OPEC plus countries is, you know, I mean. Nobody could argue that that's a, a monopoly, a cartel, whatever you'd like to call it. And I think that they they've really kind of understood, um, you know, the power that they have at the moment. Um, we hear we hear a lot of this about renewable this and renewable that. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, a lot of countries are, are kind of kind of going, uh, uh, let's say, uh, kicking and screaming. So it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. So I think that you know oil oil consumption is still here, uh, will be here for for a few for for at least the next five years. I mean we don't we don't see much change in it until 2025 with the proliferation of uh, of EVs and stuff. But you have to be careful there. So what does that mean? Does that mean? we're going to, uh, that the ethanol margins are going to stay where they are and the ethanol guys are going to continue to buy as much corn as they, you know, that could, that could be. But the fact of the matter is, is that these are historical ethanol margins for these guys and and it won't last forever. And if we know one thing about both the ethanol guys and, the, and let's say the chicken guys, they have absolutely no discipline. So they will overproduce until they have too much supply and then the bottom will fall out of it and whatever. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. I, I think, you know, Jared and I talked quite a bit and I said to a client the other day, I said, you know, it, it's a great time for us, for, for me as an analyst to be in the business, because I've never seen so many moving parts. Is that good or bad? Well, it's good because, you know, there's something to talk about all the time, but it's bad as well. It's bad as well for, for, uh, you know, the average farmer. And I I don't mean to say that the farmer is an average person, but you know, the average farmer who just can't, you know, I mean, there's a, there's so many moving parts out there. Yes. It's, it's, it's really. So it's like anything else, right? Chris, you always say this. If you look at, if you look at your margins and your margins make sense, pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's about all I had. only thing is uh, if you guys want to put a bow on it, anything else I didn't, uh, I didn't ask or anything at the end here.
2: Just have a good Christmas and a new year and get a plan for next year and make sure you're profitable next year at the end, the opportunity's there. That's it. <laughs> yep. That's
1: there. Yeah. I would, I would, that I would just add that it's okay to loosen, loosen your belt at the Christmas dinner table and new year's Eve and that sort of stuff. But after that, tighten it up because uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you need to tighten your belt in good times as much as you tighten your belt in bad times
0: excellent excellent wrap up there guys really appreciate your uh your collective wisdom um we've had you both on one at a time i think this was a a great conversation getting you both on there you guys talk a lot and and work with a lot of producers and have a lot of wisdom so thanks thanks to both of you thanks
2: pete thanks jared absolutely thanks chris right. merry christmas everybody so
0: you bet happy new year and thanks for listening everybody and we will catch you again next
1: time on the pitch. Pitch.